0: I want to start with a question this morning. You know, I just want you to think about this uh, to yourselves. Um, what do you think of when you hear the term household name? As soon as someone says something or someone is a household name, what thoughts come to your mind? Probably, I'm guessing, you think about a uh, popular actor, right? A celebrity, or maybe you think of a, a popular brand or a, or a, a restaurant franchise or uh, some, some store that, you know, oh, it's, it's a household name. Everybody shops there. You know, there's all these different things. Maybe somebody from the internet, you know, you've seen the videos that have, you know, someone has gone viral, as they say. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of the, the, the term, the phrase, household name. But I want to ask you to think about it slightly differently. What about household names? Wives, husbands, children, fathers, uh, even employees, employers. That's part of your household life. That's how you earn a living. That's, that's uh, uh, how, uh, that definitely falls under the category of household names. Maybe not exactly in the way you were thinking of it initially, but, but what about these, uh, not household names, but household names? We change the emphasis around a little bit and we understand what we're talking about, right? For many of us, uh, we wake up every day and interact with some of these people not the celebrities. Maybe we don't go to the the popular restaurant franchise every day. That's a household name. But these people, husbands, wives, fathers, children, our employers or our employees, if we're a a manager or an owner or something like that, we interact with these people pretty much every day for many of us, not all of us, but many of us. And then for many of us as well, uh, we are some of these things. We are the the husbands, we are the wives, we are the children, you are the children, the the fathers, uh, the the employees, or the employers. So this morning's message is called Household Names, as you can see, because the Bible has something to say specific to us about how we're to interact uh, in these interpersonal relationships. The Bible tells us how to behave uh, with these people, how to treat these people, uh, how it would go well with us, how it will make our life better, and how it will please the Lord. So as we look this morning at our text, Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 18, and reading down through uh, chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to see that pleasing the Lord in these household relationships involves subjection, love, obedience, compassion, and sincerity. All right. So, so these are not necessarily, in case any of you were thinking, you know, oh, He's doing a, a message for these specific people. I'm not any of those people. I'm, it's gonna be a while before I am, for those of you who are young, or, or it's been a long time since I was, maybe for some of you who are on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're thinking about checking out. Please don't, because again, we are talking about subjection, love, obedience, compassion, sincerity. These are, these are themes, these are uh, truths and, and qualities that, that go far above and far beyond these specific relationships uh, that that are kind of our setting for the lesson today these are the specific scenarios that we're given but but these things subjection love obedience compassion sincerity run far uh, deeper and further than just uh, lessons on wives and husbands and fathers and children and so on and so forth so there's something valuable here for all of us to learn today so I want to encourage everyone to listen up this morning so Let's get ready to read our text. If you haven't turned to Colossians uh, chapter three yet, make sure you get there. Uh, We're gonna start in verse 18 here in just a second. But as we do, uh, I want you to tune your ears in a particular way. Uh, I don't know if all of you have that setting, but if you do, I'm gonna tell you where I want you to put your ears here, okay? Set your ears to notice two things as we read through here. You're going to get the facts, you're going to get the figures, everything you need to know, but listen for two things. I want you to listen for Paul emphasizing the fact here as we read along. Listen for Paul emphasizing the fact that when we behave as we should in these relationships with people, we are not only honoring people. In fact, more importantly, ultimately, we're pleasing the Lord. We're pleasing God by doing this. And so if it's ever hard, if it ever becomes difficult, and you're like, I really do not feel like it today. This person does not deserve, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord. So, listen for that because you're going to hear Paul pointing out that these attitudes and these behaviors are fitting in the Lord, well pleasing to the Lord, fearing the Lord, for the Lord, serving the Lord, seen by the Lord, rewarded by or punished by the Lord, and that ultimately the Lord is everyone's master. You're going to hear phrases like that all throughout these few verses that we're going to read. Second thing I want you to listen for is how each time the Apostle Paul teaches that a person ought to be or must be subject to or obedient to, to another person, he comes right along behind that. Immediately follows it uh, with, with the instruction for the other person on the other side of that relationship, the one who is uh, in the authoritative role, if we want to call it that. He tells them, he, he tempers what he just taught the other person, he, he tempers that with, you guys need to behave yourself properly. You who have the authority, you who are being obeyed, or you who are being given headship or leadership in a certain role, you need to act responsibly here. You need to not abuse what you've been given here. You need to step up to the plate and, and, and behave appropriately, all right? So you're going to see those two things as we read along. So listen as we start in verse 18. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, Look at me. Children. See, that way I knew throughout the rest of the sermon which one of you uh, still consider yourself children. Okay? And, and you should. Those of you who uh, are still real near to your parents, you're still children. You still need to listen to this. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your Children, so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For he who does wrong I'm sorry, it is, <laughs> let me finish verse 24. Knowing that the Lord, from the Lord, you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Verse 25, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So, first requirement for pleasing the Lord in household relationships is taught in the context of a hus- uh, of a wife toward her husband, and that first requirement is subjection to God's family order. Subjection to God's family order. It was in verse 18, right at the beginning, that we saw that, where Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Back in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we learn from verse 18 that God recognized that man needed a special helper, that man needed a specific kind of help, that, God, uh, that man needed a suitable helper, and he created that needed helper. If you keep reading down through verse 24, you'll learn that God created a woman as that helper, and, and that marriage, you also learn the definition, that marriage is one man and one woman choosing to become one flesh making that decision. So it's a beautiful thing that God has designed here with marriage, a beautiful thing he designed, he created. Now, like anything, we can abuse it. We can treat it wrong and handle it totally inappropriately and we can make it pretty ugly. And we've done a lot of that. I'm not necessarily saying we, you, me, or whatever, but, but mankind, we, we have taken what God created, like many things God creates and has uh, created with order and design and a purpose, and we've messed it up. I, I get that, I acknowledge that. Now, you need to understand that in case you ever uh, bump up against somebody who wants to argue about, you know, like, well, well look at all the, the mess out there. Look at the divorce rates, and you tell me that, that, that one man, one woman choosing to become one flesh is a good idea well, that's on you for, you know, messing it up, you know. We can learn, and we can behave appropriately, and we can have it be as beautiful as God created it, okay? So it's a beautiful thing. Mankind was created to glorify God, and the woman was to come alongside and be exactly the kind of helper that man needed. It's a very special thing. It's a very special role, a very um, uh, exciting role when you have it in, in its context, when you understand that God created you for a very specific purpose. That doesn't mean it's all you do, but it's certainly a purpose that is to be fulfilled if you uh, become a wife. Now, let me ask you a sincere question here. Knowing that God is a God of order, not a God of, of chaos, and knowing from your own personal experience with relationships of any kind would it make sense to you for God to create the wife as the helper for the husband and then have that wife be the head of the household? How could she help him if she were actually leading him? Does that seem like it would create chaos or does that seem like it would uh, create order? I think we all know the answer, right? God has given an order for the family, and as it pertains to the wives and the husbands, look at what Paul wrote over in Ephesians chapter 5. This is a a parallel passage. If any of you are taking notes, uh, many of you note-takers probably already knew this was over here, but in Ephesians chapter 5, we've got a parallel passage that actually opens up what Paul wrote to the Colossians in greater detail in most instances here. So look at chapter uh, 5 in Ephesians, verses 22 through 24. He says, wives, this is Paul again writing to them, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body now that's Jesus that's not you guys but as the church is subject to Christ so also the wives ought to be their, to their husbands in everything when a when a Christian is instructed to be subject to someone it means to voluntarily submit yourself to someone's leadership to someone's headship It means to voluntarily to make the choice you're not forced to do anything you're not forced to do this, but, but it's, a, it's a choice. It's a decision to come under the leadership, come under the headship of another person. That's what it means to subject yourself. Now, God never said that anybody was more valuable than anyone else. God never said that, ever. You can't find it anywhere. God doesn't consider anyone as more valuable or less valuable than anybody else. But again, God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. He knows how things work best, and he tells us, when we need to submit to other people. And it's not just wives to husbands. It happens in other situations. But in this case that's what we're talking about. In the case of husbands and wives. Paul makes it clear that husbands are to lead the family. And wives are to voluntarily submit. Voluntarily submit to that leadership. It's just like uh, loving God. Or choosing to, to be faithful to him. Or choosing to serve him. Or to minister to others. God doesn't force anyone to do anything. Instead, he wants you, it's much more meaningful when you choose. He wants you to choose to do what honors him. He wants you to choose, to make that selection, to to honor him. And when you honor your husband, you're honoring God. According to Titus uh, chapter 2 verse 5, you're honoring the word of God when you're being subject to your husband. It says it brings, if you don't do it, then you're dishonoring the word of God. So if you do it, then we know that we would be honoring the word of God. We don't want to bring dishonor to the word of God. We want to honor it, right? According to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, a wife's submissiveness can win a disobedient husband over to obedience to Christ. And according to 1 Peter chapter 3, again, down in verses 5 and 6, holy women adorn themselves with the imperishable qualities of of gentleness and a quiet spirit. And it says being submissive to their husbands, being subject to their husbands, or again, choosing to come under his family leadership. But wives, you're not the only ones, like I said, who have been taught in Scripture to be subject to another person. There are others, (laughs) like all of us. Every single Christian is taught to be subject to Christ, right? We've already read some scriptures that say that, right? The, the whole church is supposed to be subject to Christ. And that's not just us when we're all together like, hey, let's do things as a church that are subject to Him. No, each one of us individually are to be subject, to live in subjection to Christ. Jesus, he, if you feel like, well, why did I get the short end of the deal? Why do I have to be subject? Okay, well, all of us do. Jesus chose, right? That's how we know it's definitely a voluntary, uh, a voluntary thing that you choose to do. Jesus chose to submit to the Father's will. He chose to live in uh, subjection to him, to put on flesh, and to come under God the Father. And all Christians are uh, to subject themselves also to the government's leadership. It's difficult at times, and sometimes uh, there are things where we, we shouldn't We know that we need to not be subject in certain instances, but we're taught to be uh, subject to the government. Is that because all governments are always so good? No. It's, again, you've heard me say it two times now. Here's the third time. God is a God of order, not chaos. He knows that chaos creates a a situation that that doesn't uh, give people the best opportunity to choose to honor him. When there's chaos, when there's craziness, when there's fighting and bickering and arguing and uh, everybody trying to get on the top of the pile, it's, it's not good for anybody. And so that's why we're taught to be subject, uh, even when things just aren't quite perfect. Because have any of you ever had things quite perfect? I haven't. I don't think anyone probably in this room would say they have. So for the sake of order rather than chaos, and for the sake of honoring God and his word rather than dishonoring God and his word, all Christians have to learn to be subject to others because we all have scenarios, situations, relationships where every single one of us, man, woman, and child, <laughs> are to be subject to someone. Now, of course, like I said, Acts chapter 5, verse 29 Teaches us that when anyone is clearly now, don't go, don't go twisting this and saying like, well, if I had done what they said to do and I had kept at it, you know, I don't think it was really the most honorable thing to God. No, when they are, when they are clearly telling you to disobey God, when they are clearly telling you to do something that God said don't do. Okay, then then you obey God rather than men, right? Like, like Peter said very clearly that we must obey God rather than men. That's when you have an exception to the rule. But it doesn't happen probably as often as a lot of people want to employ that little um, caveat right there, okay? It's got to be clear. But again, all Christians need to understand, number one, what being subject to another person means. And number two, that it is something we've uh, been taught to choose to do and number three, that it honors God. We need to know those things, understand those things, and, and obey those things. All right? The next requirement for pleasing the Lord in household relationships is taught in the context of the husband toward his wife. And that requirement is love like Christ, right? And we saw that in verse 19. Love like Christ. Verse 19, uh, Paul wrote, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. All right, this is the first flip side of the coin lesson that we have, right? Remember I told you to listen for that, that Paul's going to say, you guys do this, you do this, and all you wives were kind of giving me the look, and it was really uncomfortable to go through that first sermon point, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay, because you guys were giving me the look, all right? It's the first time I've ever taught on this, and it was as difficult as I thought it would be, all right, but he follows it up, right, with, hey, oh, and you husbands, you're not off the hook, right? I don't think he's really saying it quite like that, but he does follow it up and make sure everybody understands. Wives, this is what you're to do. Husbands, this is what you're to do, right? Right after instructing that wife to be subject to him, he says, and you husbands, love those wives. Love them and don't be embittered against them. The word that Paul uses for love is agapao. It's not agape, okay? Every preacher, it's always, and you might find it interesting that uh, the term here is agape, right? It's always agape, not here, not here. It's agapao, and this is a word that is translated elsewhere in our New Testament as beloved. It's the way that God considers us his beloved, right? It's that kind of, of love that the, the husband is taught to show to his wife. It's, it's a, Think of how God, if we are his beloved, think of what that means. How does God love us? It, it, does he just worry about the spiritual and not the physical? No, he provides for our physical needs too, Right? He's concerned about what we, what we, uh, that we have clothes to wear, that we have food to eat, right? He, he's, he's concerned about those things as well. Now, is he only concerned about those things, but not the spiritual? Well, of course not. It's a, it's a deep love that actively cares for the complete well-being of another person. And husbands, don't forget the point we're on. <laughs> this is the way you're to love your wife, this is this is the kind of care she's to be your beloved. She's to be you're to be completely concerned about her entire life, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. You name it. You need to care for her. Or we could go back over to that great parallel passage of Paul's over in Ephesians five again. I think we will. Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-five. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then skipping down to verse 28 here, he says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. Sound familiar? And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, here's what we're talking about. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So, husbands, future husbands, all of you, understand that when Paul says love your wife, this is the kind of love, this is the level of love that God calls us to provide to her. This is the responsibility that you have to your wife. Remember, she's been instructed to choose to subject herself to your leadership. Now, you are being instructed to be worthy of that. She is taking a a role that puts her in a vulnerable position. She's trusting you, and you are taught to live up to that trust, to be what she needs. You're not going to be perfect. (laughs) None of us are but we're going to be faithful and we're going to love like this. We're going to strive to love like this. Now notice that the second part of Colossians chapter 3 verse 19 says and do not be embittered against them. Don't act with bitterness or, or resentment toward your wife. Uh, I know for a fact, and I'm not saying in this room, but I know for a fact there are husbands that just everything is a joke about how difficult it is to live with their wife. That's not funny. That's not funny. It's not biblical. It, you know, we all make our, our, our jokes from time to time, but there are some people who just live like that. It's just resentment constantly, husbands, toward the wife. She, she's just, you know, she just doesn't get it. Oh, always with this and that. No, husbands, that should definitely not be happening in a Christian household or from even just a Christian husband. Forget where the rest of the family stands. If the husband is with Christ. He's not supposed to be embittered against her. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 says, "You husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Live in an understanding way, not resentment, not not bitterness. Live in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered." Now, Don't hear that as a dig, by the way, ladies. Don't hear that as as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Okay, and show her honor. No, she's a woman, so she. You've been taught to treat her this way. She deserves to be treated this way because she's your wife. This is not a dig, saying you know that you know. Well, you know you gotta bear with them because it takes them a while, or they're you know they're like this. No. Treat her in an understanding way because look, it says she's a fellow heir heir of the grace of life. Don't be embittered toward her. Instead, do as Peter says here and live with her in an understanding way. Uh, Again, realize that she's been called to place herself in this vulnerable position. We might call it, like Peter does here, uh, a weak position or a weaker position. And as the wife... uh, she's been called to subject herself to your headship. And like I said, she's trusting you. So live in an understanding way with her. And it says, show her honor. Show her honor. She is no second-class citizen anywhere, but certainly not in the kingdom of God. Certainly not in the kingdom of God. She is a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's inheriting the same heaven you are, right? The same heaven you are. Live in an understanding way with her and show her Honor. A failure, failure to do so will penalize your prayer life, by the way, guys. Did, did you catch that? Did you see that? You've probably seen it before, right? I'm telling you, God is not messing around with this. We have a great responsibility as husbands. This lesson, this love that we're talking about, God is not telling you to remember when Valentine's Day rolls around or to remember the date of your anniversary. It's not saying that. It's not saying take your, your wife out. You know, make sure you keep taking them out for dates at least once a quarter. That's not what this is teaching. It's a whole different ball of wax. This is the kind of love that um, your responsibility here is 100% critical to your life as a Christian. Okay? Husbands can't be like, yeah, I'll do everything else, but I'm not on board with that whole biblical, um, biblical picture of how husbands to behave. No, this is vital. This is, this is a salvation issue. If you can't pray and know that God's listening to you, you've got a salvation problem, right? That's gonna affect you, right? And if you can't obey, that's gonna affect you. And you've been taught to do this. So this is critical, uh, you guys who are husbands or uh, thinking about being husbands, all right? I'm not gonna make eye contact on that one. All right, the next requirement for pleasing the Lord in these household relationships is taught in the uh, context of the, the children. Toward their parents, all right? Parents, this is the one you're like, yeah, he's preaching on that one today, all right? Well, we're gonna be quick, okay? We can't beat them up too much. You'll, you'll see, the whole lesson tells us not to do that, right? So the requirement here, though, uh, is obedience to authority. It's obedience to authority. We saw that in verse 20 of our text. Paul wrote uh, specifically, again, this is a letter to be read to the church, right? So the children would have been present. That's why he addresses them uh, directly. He doesn't say, oh, and teach your kids this. He says, children, He's, he's expecting them to look up and make eye contact at that moment, right? He says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We know what parents do. Parents lead children uh, spiritually. They educate them in a variety of ways. They provide them with a valuable experience that they have from years of, of living, having that to share. They share that wisdom with them. They show them love, give them love, and, and so many other things, Right? So, children, obey them in all things, he says. Obey your parents in all things. Uh, Let's flip over to Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 6 now. It kind of spills over into chapter 6 here. Verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. You know? You know? I know this is from the Ten Commandments, but Paul's brought it into the New Testament. He's restated it in the New Testament. He has applied it now to uh, the, the new covenant, uh, living in the grace of, uh, from Christ. Okay, He's applied it to the way we're supposed to live now. So that means that everything here is still valid. Okay? Uh, no, we're not still held to the Ten Commandments because that was part of the Old Covenant, but they get restated, all except the Sabbath. They all get restated in the New Testament. And here we have this one uh, for the, the children to uh, honor their father and mother. But the cool thing, the great thing, is we're not just here to beat up on the kids. We're to say, hey, look, if you do this, there's a great benefit to you. It, it, this is, this is the, the way to have the, the best life that you possibly can here. Moses delivered, if we look at the Ten Commandments, if you, I'm not going to put it up here because we don't really have the time, but if we'll talk about it tonight, we'll read it tonight. If you look at Exodus 20, verse 12, and then if you look at it restated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, uh, you will see that, sure enough, this is the first commandment that Moses delivered that had a promised benefit. Kiddos, you're, you get the, you get the um, commandment that says, do this, and you get something, right? That's how we work with kids, right? Do this, and I'll give you a piece of candy. No, I'm, kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, okay? But, but it does, it comes with a promised benefit here. Now, how might obeying parents cause life to go well? How do we get this benefit? How would it cause uh, our quality of life as a child to be better by obeying our parents? How would it it increase the length of our life? Because it says so that it may go well with you and that you may uh, live a long time, right? That you may uh, live long on the earth, it says. How might that actually happen? How does that work? Well, I don't think it's complicated. I don't think it's complicated and I don't think it's miraculous. I think it's uh, naturally hardwired into life. I think God has, has just uh, made this make sense. It's something that's logical, and I think we can understand. Now, we can sit and argue against it, and we can say, well, that wouldn't happen to me, and that wouldn't happen to me. You know, I, I, I do fine on my own. We can do that if we want. But I don't think that uh, we would be honest with ourselves if we did that. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 13 verse 1 says, A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And man, you can flip to passages like Romans chapter 1 and get down to uh, somewhere around verse 30, I think it is. Um, I didn't have room to fit all the scriptures that, that I studied on this stuff because this stuff is everywhere. We could have broken each one of these relationships into its own sermon. But man, you read about uh, the depraved mind and how things are getting really bad, and this population that he's talking about there is just, you know, off the rails. And he mentions, of all the things they are involved in, all the really disgusting, sinful things, one of them is disobedience to their parents. And it's elsewhere in the New Testament as well. The disobedience to parents is a really... uh, powerful thing in a bad way powerfully negative all right so we could we could go on and on but but I just want you to see uh, the wisdom that the Bible says we gain from obeying our parents the the goodness and then a little bit of the negativity as well Uh, a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke that um, it's not wise to behave this way and I want you to know children those who are needing to be obedient to your parents which is all of you with uh, parents right now in this room It's not always easy. And you won't be perfect at it. I get that. It's not always easy, but it's a simple command. It's a simple command, and it's very wise to do it. Children, listen to and obey and honor your father and your mother, your parents. Disobedience to parents is a surefire way to get yourself into trouble. And to make your life hard. Disobedience to your par- parents is a surefire way uh, for you to fall in with the wrong crowd. For you to get yourself into dangerous situations that you never meant to put yourself in. To put yourself into um, these, these tempting situations that you never meant to put yourself into. To go through things that you never wanted to go through. To take risks that you never would have uh, gone through had you listened to your parents to pay prices you didn't want to pay and to literally shorten your life. Literally shorten your life. This is not figurative metaphorical stuff. This is talking about if you don't behave yourself, it's going to come back and bite you. How many lung cancers have ruined and shortened the lives of, of children because at 13 years old, uh, that, that little girl didn't listen to her parents when um, they taught her the dangers of cigarettes. How many lives have been utterly destroyed because at 17, he didn't listen to his parents' uh, warnings uh, about the harsh realities of hard drugs? We can't count them, right? How many of us know a 17, 18, 19-year-old who, who started drinking, who drank alcohol, maybe didn't even realize they were getting behind the wheel and then tragically lost their life in a, in a horrible tragic automobile accident I mean this is not scare tactics this is reality none of us can be like that doesn't happen all the time read the news watch the news uh, think about your friends think about a, a classmate of a friend of yours or maybe your own classmate we all know this happens remember I told you it's not miraculous it's not it's not some strange odd magical how does it all work If you don't listen to your parents' wisdom, if you don't obey your father and mother, this is what happens. When you do, this stuff doesn't happen. The quality of your life is improved. Things will go well with you, as the Bible puts it, and you'll live longer. You'll live a long life. You'll live long on this earth. Obey your parents. Avoid these dangers. Learn the right way to fly, and life will go well for you. Now, church, I will add this last thing. This is for all of us. Obedience is obviously something that God doesn't merely expect from children, you know, this isn't just for children, right? It's not something that that only children benefit from either. Obey Christ, who holds all authority in your life. Obey Bible teachers, who who, uh, genuinely teach you the truth and challenge you. Respect and honor those who are older than you, no matter where you are or who they are, respect them, honor them. That's part of the problem with our society, the, the downfall of our society. Kendall talked about it a few weeks ago, I think it was. He briefly touched on it as well. The, the, the level of respect that we have for our elders in this country is uh, at an all-time low, I, I'm just sure. I don't have the data to back that up, so don't even bother to challenge me on that. But, um, but I think we can all look around and see it. And I think we could all see uh, how much wiser people who are older than us lived. Give it 10 years. Give it 15 years. Look at those who are 30 years older than you. It doesn't matter. Just a little bit older than you and you see that they were living wiser than you were. They had it figured out a little better than you did. Not to mention, they've gone through stuff before you did. Uh, That was one of the things that, it's it's odd, like as a little kid, the things you think about and you remember. But I remember... um, thinking many, many times, I mean, probably on a weekly basis when school was in session, how fortunate I was to have two sisters who had already gone through everything that I was getting ready to go through. You know, so what is Algebra 1 like? You know, what is, do I really have to turn this in on time? You know, like these questions, uh, that last one, I don't know why I threw that in there. I was scared to death not to turn things in on time. (laughs) Okay, so that wasn't me. All right, anyway, um, it was just great to have uh, sisters who had been through this. You know, oh my goodness, school dances. Please help me understand what this is going to be like, you know, which they were on the other end. And, you know, they were polar opposites. The two sisters are totally different. So it's like, do I go with this one? Do I go with that one? But it's just great to have someone who's been through stuff before. Whether they did it wrong or right, you can learn from them either way. So children, all of us, let's learn, let's obey authority. All right, the next requirement for pleasing the Lord in these household relationships is taught in the context of fathers toward their children. And, and that requirement is compassion that builds up. Compassion that builds up. We saw it in verse 21 of our text. He said, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't exasperate children so they won't lose heart. This is the second flip side of the coin uh, lesson that we get here. After Paul has instructed the children to obey their parents, he teaches a cautionary lesson here. Fathers, you heads of the household, see to it that you aren't exasperating or provoking your children. So fathers, don't set your expectations so high that they're beyond uh, the reasonable ability of, of a child to achieve those things. Don't constantly criticize and berate. Don't set up a child for failure. Don't verbally abuse them for crying out loud. Don't talk down to them. Don't mistreat them um to the point that you're just trying to see if they'll crack. See what their breaking point is. Don't don't do that stuff. Don't don't treat them this way. Just like a husband must not abuse his authority or squander his responsibilities to his wife, a a father Must not misuse his responsibility that he's been given by God to his children. So rather than needlessly pushing them to the brink, we need to have compassion to build them up. As Christian fathers and and really as Christian uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, you name it, we should have compassion for the children in our families that means we should have concern for what is genuinely best for them. So that doesn't mean we let them walk all over us. That that's that's bad for them. But we have compassion, a genuine concern for what do they need? And if it's hard for me to do, I'm going to do it anyway because it's what they need because I have that kind of compassion that even if they need a little tough love, okay, but it's got a purpose. It's constructive. It's, it's loving. We need this kind of compassion that, that builds up rather than tears down. We need to build up kids in Christ. And once again, I will say this is something that we need to do in all our relationships. We're called as Christians to be those who build up rather than tear down. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, uh, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word. Right? Only. This is, this is all you're to do. But only such a word as is good for edification or building up, right? That's what that means. Only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do you see the need of the moment? What do they need? Like have the compassion, the concern, the care for actually to, to notice what they need. Actually have your eyeballs, your spiritual ears open, everything ready to go to see what's needed. Have that kind of compassion. And then the fifth and final requirement for pleasing the Lord in household relationships is taught in the context of slaves and masters, and that requirement is sincerity in service. Paul wrote in uh, chapter three, starting verse 22, he said, slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men. So not just, don't just do things on the outside for people to see and, and make them assume that, oh, you're, a, you're uh, obedient and you're doing as you should. No, not just external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, doesn't matter what your job is, what your role is, what you've been tasked with, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord... You will receive the reward. You will receive the reward of the inheritance, it says. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So it's not like you're serving him. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And then uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Masters, this is the flip side here. Masters, grant to your slaves... Justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Now, of course, the elephant in the room here is that Paul is giving instructions to slaves and also to slave masters here. Now, the Bible does not condone slavery. Let's make sure we understand this. The Bible does not condone slavery. Some people occasionally you'll run into someone who will, who will, this will be the big thing that they go off on and that, that just rubs them so wrong that they can't accept anything else. The Bible does not condone slavery. And I understand God could have inspired Paul or any Bible writer to um, call for a revolt, to call for slaves to tell them, you know, here's what you should do. You should really stick it to the man, You should uh, get all your people together and then as a united front, go and uh, do something to overthrow your masters and to free yourselves. Or in the middle of the night, run away. And, you know, I'm sure some really powerful results would happen. Like harsher treatment for those slaves. Like more than likely uh, death to those slaves. I'm sure that would have gone really well. Instead of that, see the, see the wisdom of what the Bible says. Calls for uh, the, the 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 Bible wisdom here is that he's teaching in a slave culture, teaching them to honor human beings, not with external service, not just with words, but with sincerity of the heart. He tells the slaves and the slave masters that they need to be sincere, that they need to think about the human who is either serving or being served. If we follow this instruction to its logical end, these instructions would result in better, more mutually beneficial conditions here and and or even emancipation. This is the way to go. This is the wise uh, teaching for this kind of culture here. Teaching uh, slaves to, to honor their masters with stellar service. To respect them enough to do a solid job even when they aren't being watched. Paul says not to be men pleasers, but to to serve a sincerity of heart, pleasing the Lord, fearing the Lord, he says. And for added motivation, Paul reminds them that this sincere effort, their hard work, it's going to be rewarded. They're going to receive the reward of the inheritance. He's talking about heaven there, right? Verse 24 says, you know that you're going to receive that. You know, you will receive this. Talking about eternal life in heaven. Now, the instructions for anybody in uh, the Colossian audience who's listening to this letter who might have been a Christian uh, master of slaves, it also included an element, like I said, of sincerity and service. As those who were being served, they needed to be sincere in their treatment of those who were serving them. They're instructed in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1 here to grant their slaves justice and fairness. Now let me ask you this. If Christian slaves could step up and improve their situation by offering the most sincere level of service that they were capable of. And if Christian slave owners could challenge their normal course of business like this by granting their slaves justice and fairness, if these guys could do this, why can't we be stellar examples in the workplace? Think about the culture they were in and think about what they were called to do. It's a far larger leap. It's a far uh, longer distance between where they were and where they were called to be than where we are uh, going to work and and complaining because you know our benefits aren't as good as they used to be or as good as our, our friend at the place where he works. You know, we we it's the little things that we're looking at and that we bicker about, and we argue about. It's a it's a much shorter distance for us to come in and do a great job. Where are all the Josephs today? I mean, I don't feel like I can look around at, at Christian audiences and and just assume that they're all living like the example of Joseph, that they're all uh, doing everything they can for their Potiphar, right? I just don't know that that's being done quite as much as it should be. Some of you, uh, I know some in this audience absolutely are. I, I've seen it, I've heard about it, and I know that you are. But, but where are all the Josephs in the Christian audience today wanting to live after that example and, and like I said, serve their Potiphar? And when it doesn't work out uh, you know, to, for health and wealth and all those great things, and they're in prison, to, to step up and serve there, to be responsible there as well, and to be relied upon even by uh, people who are, who are imprisoning you, again, like Joseph. Joseph. Where are the people who, who were faithful like that It lived like Joseph, worked like Joseph, and then ended up second in command, serving God in a humongous way, bringing all kinds of honor and glory to him? Because that's the end result. That's what happened with Joseph, and that's what can happen with us as well still today. Where are those who want to do their work heartily, ask for the Lord rather than for men, regardless of what it is you're doing, whatever you're doing, he says. Where are those who, in their sincerity of service, rise in the ranks, catch the attention of their coworkers, and come to a, a, a point where people see just how good that job can actually be done? And it's being done by a Christian. That's why. And again, you're bringing all kinds of honor and glory to God. That should be an aspiration for us. We shouldn't get obsessed with our jobs, but we should do our jobs like it's for the Lord. And open up an opportunity to glorify Him. In verse 24, we're promised that if we do that work, yes, we're going to receive that reward of inheritance. But there's a warning in verse 25 as well. If we don't, if we stick with the status quo, if we just, oh, he's watching now. I'm really busy over here. If that's how we live, it's not going to be funny in the end. It says, it doesn't matter whether you're a slave or a slave master. God doesn't show partiality when He doles out judgment the consequences for our wrongdoing, it says. So yeah, here's your conclusion. You're waiting for it, right? Sometimes we need to voluntarily be in subjection to somebody else's leadership because God has wisely ordained it. Order rather than chaos. Honor rather than dishonor. Sometimes we have to step up and faithfully discharge our our duty to love and care and protect others at all costs like Christ did. Sometimes that's where we're supposed to be. Sometimes we need to obey those who are in authority, who have wisdom that we don't have, who are placed in those authoritative roles in our lives because it is absolutely the best thing for us. Sometimes we need to show compassion to people uh, so that we can uh, build them up rather than tear them down. Sometimes we need to work hard with sincerity and service, knowing that we're working for Christ and other times we need to exercise our sincerity toward those who are serving us by granting them justice and fairness, treating them uh, appropriately, treating them in the way they deserve as human beings, knowing that we have a master in heaven who ranks higher than than any management role we might get, any boss we might be, any supervisor, business owner, you name it, anything we might be, we have a master in heaven who's over us and over all. To do all of this, sometimes we have to set aside pride and take our position other uh, times we have to step up to the plate and we have to fulfill the great responsibilities that God has given us ultimately though as we've seen throughout the book of Colossians so far uh, we we haven't departed from this idea yet we're still we're still thinking about it ultimately it comes down to the the crux of the whole argument the lesson is is Jesus lord of your life what is your view of Christ he's to be all the way up here So that when you're serving a master, you're serving him. When you're subject to your husband, you're you're honoring him. When you are loving and protecting and caring because you've been put in that leadership role, you are serving him. When you're working hard and the job is awful, you're serving him. Ultimately, it comes down to what is your view of Christ. Is he the Lord of your life? Not have you called him the Lord. Is he the Lord?